keep those California Indians down. Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. On today's program, 52 years, Teatro at Centro, a panel discussion to celebrate the history of Teatro Mestizos and the legacy of Teatro Chicano at El Centro in the traditional territories of the Kumeyaay Nation in San Diego, California. We'll speak with two female instruments of change and their legacy and contributions. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the traditional territories of the Kumeyaay Nation in San Diego, California. Marcus Lopez, executive producer of American Indian Airwaves, and myself have the honor and pleasure to speak with two longtime female activists throughout the region, our guests for the hour, Felicitas Nunez of the Salton Sea Coalition and Kathy Requejo, a longtime community activist, now retired, join us here on American Indian Airwaves to speak about Teatro at Centro 52 Years, a panel discussion to celebrate the history of Teatro Mestisto and the legacy of Teatro Chicano at the El Centro, an event happening October 20th. 2023. And now the interview. Thank you for joining us on the American Indian Airways. Felicita Nunez and Katya Riquejo both have experience and originators on the group of the Teatro de las Chicanas, the book that you wrote with the same title. So welcome to the American Indian Airways. Thank you. All right. Now on this, yes, on this hour, we're going to talk about the Teatro at Centro and Centro Cultural and celebrating 52 years of uh, its existence in San Diego, California. And they're going to have an activity. It's going to be a panel discussion to celebrate the history of Teatro Mestizo, 1969, and the legacy of Teatro uh, uh, de las Chicanas at El Centro. Um, before we get into the event, that's going to be October 20th of this year at 6.30. But I wanted to give you a little background of that event, and you're going to be part of that panel discussions. I know, Kathy, you're not, but Felicitas, you are. So why don't you give us a little background? Of, could you talk about the group and uh, how you came about? Um, Felicitas, we'll start with you. All right. All uh- right. Uh, we started uh, doing uh, teatro for uh, the students coming in uh, for that were recruited into the university, and we would pretend uh, I was a counselor, and I would, they were a student, and they were asking questions on how to sign up for classes and what what exact major they were into. And then 
it developed. We, it was a very active time, and uh, and we were also uh, demanding Chicano studies classes. We were demanding Black studies, women's studies, uh, Native American studies at that time in nineteen. It started nineteen sixty eight, and then also the Toltecas at the Centro Cultural were mainly community people that wanted to have a say in um, the artistic cultural. Uh, value of of the indigenous culture, and so uh, they also uh, we also allied with them to uh, to ask uh, funds for for the idea of developing a central cult- a cultural center where we could go and practice and and enjoy uh, cultural events and also share it with the whole public. I mean, it's it's everybody's invited. Kathy and you. Okay, are you talking about the Priata de las Chicanas? Yes. Okay, well, um, I probably um, wasn't inv- that, that involved in the Triatro in the beginning uh, because I was one of the uh, students that uh, was recruited into uh, San Diego State University back in the 1970s. But like what Felicitas was saying, during the time of the 1960s, it um, was a very active time for the Chicano movement and the women's feminist movement. And so um, being a um, local uh, girl from Carpinteria, attending a small high school um, when I went to the San Diego State, um, it felt kind of you know isolated and alone. And so I got involved with uh, the uh, Chicano movement there and um, eventually um, became involved with the uh, Triatro, Triatro de las Chicanas. What what was the basis of you coming together? It was all women's uh, group, and uh, was that significant, uh, Felicitas? Was, yes. What's so significant about women coming together, the Chicanas coming together? Basically, um, we we started out with a Chicano movement, and we found a lot of um, antagonism or men trying to be the dominant factor, and so we were experiencing inequality within our own group uh, you know, with the, because of the male supremacy. So um, we found, we try to console ourselves, <laughs> I guess, and group together as women and um, came up with a, a skit, you know, called Chicana Goes to College because not only was um, the male supremacy at the college level, it was also in our homes, a very um, backward tradition of women being submissive. So um, we gathered together um, to invite our mothers because our, our mothers came, were very strong in that it's submissive culture, some of them, and uh, we wanted to tell them that we wanted a change. We wanted to be equal partners in... in um, in developing our society and making it better, a better world where um, everybody is considered equal, whether you're white, black, red, uh, woman or man, or whatever in between. Because um, it, it was, you know, we, we felt that um, this was necessary to for the movement to understand the importance of how progress, you know, should should happen and not discriminate against each other or other groups. Now, we know that the, during that time, during the 60s, uh, you had uh, a situation where, like you said, it, it was a very much a political circumstances arising from that social consciousness rising and 
the level of going into university and university activism against against uh, the uh, Vietnam War and against, uh, like you said, Felicitas um, uh, about male supremacy. But yet, when you came, you come up. Once you flush that out for our listeners, a lot of the listeners were not even born then. A lot of young people. What was what was the main challenge then? What what it was? What did you see as the the, the challengeable elements within your environment? I have a, a background as a farm worker, so right away when Cesar Chavez was leading the farm workers union, um, I, I saw it as as a challenge, you know, to get into that it was important for anybody to get into the university. Then we had the Vietnam War, where our brothers, uncles, some of our dads, you know, were involved in the Vietnam and were getting killed, maimed, and psychologically traumatized. So that was very strong. Um, we also had the the women's movement that we were we we uh, recognized as something important because we were women. Uh, we were um, being uh, discriminated against in within our own group as far as being lesser. So we we had a lot of backing that you know at that time that we could um, learn from, and uh, and so we you know then we started understanding uh, the concept of what working class was, and that means anybody that has to work for somebody else uh, is working class. And so workers are supposed to be treated diff- um, with respect and, and um, have, you know, equal pay for the work that they do, regardless of their sex, and also get paid decent wages and, and, um, and decent conditions. Thank Thank I also think... Um, I also want to just add that um, during that time, um, like what Felicitas was saying about the, the huelgas and stuff, a lot of the uh, triatros during the Chicano movement were starting to be formed. And all these other triatros that were being formed throughout California and the, in the different universities were all either male-orientated um, um, and, and, and not very many women. And so I think that was one of the other reasons why the, the Triato de las Chicanas was formed. We were a, an all-women's group. Um, we were seen as, you know, rivals between, um, um, amongst many of these other triatros um, because we were just a women's group. I mean, we, we would play male roles in, in our um, actos. And so I think that, you know, and, and the issues that we were raising – were similar um, issues like um, about huelga, about equality, about bilingual education, regarding women's issues, um, labor issues, but with a, a a different, you know, twist or a different outcome because we were we were doing these actos from a woman's view viewpoint. Larry, you know, and listening to both of you. Um and and just with some of the other interviews we've de- we've had with other indigenous women and and talking about colonialism or settler colonialism and when i'm listening uh, to both of you and as are maybe um i think mark marcus was alluding to this is the idea of the legacy of settler colonialism and say spanish colonialism and how violent that is in teaching 
um, erasing, but yet and replacing that erasure with patriarchal, you know, values with male supremacy, um, um, uh, as you called it. And I was wondering if maybe you could speak to that more and and your experiences at the time. Okay, most most of uh, Mexicans, I believe, uh, are from Mexico, but then we also have roots in the indigenous communities because we're we're mixed uh, with the invader. <laughs> And uh, and I think that when the invaders came from Europe, um, they were the sons of the Inquisition, which was uh, against um, the women in in Europe. So when they came to the to the Americas, they found that a lot of the Native Americans uh, still honored uh, female deities and honored the earth, honored the the animal world, the plant world, and so um, they. Um, they thought that Christianity would, uh, and they did, you know, they, they um, made Christianity the main religion because it was patriarchal. Uh, in Christianity, you don't have a female uh, deity or goddess. So um, we became separated from the earth in so many ways where we, um, we don't even today have the respect that we, we need to have. That's why we're in such a a bad space right now with climate change because the earth was raped over and over and so were the women and so were the children of the women. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's it's very sad, you know, what happened to, to the religion that acknowledged both sexes or, or whatever. It You know, whether you're um, gay or whatever, you're earth, you're from the earth, and the earth is our mother. And and we we have been violating, or we have allowed this violation, or it has been forced on us to to not respect the earth and and our nature, our own nature. Kathy, um, just you know that um, we're stewards of the environment, and um, the again the woman um, is has always been the protector of of life of of all life you know, whether it be the animal life or um, just life in general. And so, and, and I think that was what, you know, what, what we're saying is that uh, Christianity was brought down uh, from the, the Spaniards and that, you know, ruined, or not ruined everything, but it changed everything. It changed how, how uh, men um, viewed women in um, here, you know, in the, um, in the Southwest. I think we were talking about both you and Felicitas and Kathy. You you mentioned the you we talked about the political circumstances, but tell us a little bit more. And I think we want to flush this out. The the threat of the Chicanos were not just a a bunch of, of women coming together and doing their thing, but that you're what I observe being around the community and the and the and the over there in San Diego and Balboa Park and Santo Cutular. They were talking about a lot of ways in which the notion of comadre, the notion of um, that intimate spiritual feeling that you have for one another. Talk about how you work with one another. Did you have training? Did you have, was there arguments? And I mean, what was the, you know, political discussions? Tell us more about that. Flush that out for us. Tell us that public about you, what you went through. We were always fighting with each other, that's for sure. <laughs> but we, um, you know, we got along. Um, we had our 
you know, our octos and um, uh, we would fight over which roles we wanted to, to play. But, you know, we would meet in, um, in our homes, practice our skits. Uh, we would have our, our children with us, you know, so uh, we became comadres, you know, to each other. I think most of the women in the Triato de las Chicanas um, attended our wedding. And so they're all my comadres, you know, regardless, they're my comadres. Um, and so, um, no, we, um, our skits were, were always political. I mean, they were either about huelgas, they were about labor, about equity, about bilingual education, and about uh, male supremacy. So we would always have a political discussion in the beginning about what the skit was about. And then, um, and, and then we would put forth, you know, we would practice the skit in, in home, in, our, in each other's homes. So, yeah, Kathy, just, you know, just explain um, that uh, even though, you know, we had differences, we, we still had a tendency to group together because we felt uh, discriminated against by our own men to, to some degree. You know, we were just considered like um, sex objects or disrespected, and and that humiliated us, and, and we had to group together to, to get our strength back, to get our dignity back, to, to feel that we had a part in society, and we were no less than anybody else. And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is currently in fund drive mode, and we need your help in financially supporting the work that KPFK and all its volunteer staff and programmers do. We are offering as thank you items Stephen Newcomb's book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, or the DVD based on the book, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. That is also a $100 thank you item. These are both remarkable and phenomenal uh, resources and understanding the settler colonial legacy that begins with religion, that begins with the papal bulls, legal texts that are used by colonial countries to self-legitimize the theft in taking and dispossession of indigenous people's lands. And you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery for $100, or you can pick up the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, also for $100. And you can pick them up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget and select those items there. Marcus? Yes, we want you to support, if you support us and our programming, to phone 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. And supporting not only the American Indian Airways, the wonderful program we have here on KPFK. They also want to mention, Larry, that this book, Penguins in the Promised Land, is significant if you are indigenous out there talk about re-indigenizing or talk about decolonization or if you're our allies out there that support all these different struggles that we have interviewed the frontline fighters and we want to continue the programming 
please, uh, this is the this particular book and the uh, DVD is offering to you as a thank you uh, note from us to you. And this is the people that are really in this struggle. This book is important because when I was in New York, Larry, you know, some of the leaders like Orrin Lyons or Chris Peters and whatnot, they were saying that if we knew this book 50 years ago, we wouldn't have to go through all this rigmarole of what we went through. Not that they want to apologize, but this is a a book that explains it all. Larry. Marcus, we want to go back to our interview just to showcase and feature the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves. And if you appreciate the work that we do here on uh, American Indian Airwaves and KBFK in general, please pick up um, the book or the DVD for $100 each as a way to show your support. And Marcus, could you reintroduce our guest for the hour? Yes, the guests for the hour is Felicita Nunez and Kathy Requejo. Both, um, you're talking about the Teatro Centro down San Diego, California, Centro Cultural, and as far as the panel discussion to celebrate the history of the Teatro Mestizo, Teatro de Chicanas, and all that means the panel discussion. Really some 52 years of the, the center in San Diego and by over there Chicano Park and all that goes with it, with it in order to explain, to articulate, and to showcase the phenomenal work that El Centro is doing there in San Diego. Well, viewing that history, read the book of, that you wrote, Teatro de las Chicanas, I got a sense that um, you were just not only talking about the local and regional you know, aspects of a community within San Diego or Southern California, but uh, with Tenaz and with Many of the uh, the teatro groups in, in Mexico, and as well as you know, teatro de las Esperanza, teatro de los de los campesinos, and other major uh, teatro groups, the teatro de los chicanos, and the and the your, your the storytelling and the resistance that you played had a significant impact on the Chicano movement as a whole. Do you think not? And tell us about the, your impact of the Chicano movement as we know of it today? Well, I, I do believe, you know, we still have it. Uh, it's very strong in some areas, um, you know, to be um, accepted as equals. Uh, but I think that we did have some kind of impact. We, we were not famous. We were infamous. <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> it, you know, we, we did have that kind of a, a reputation for speaking out and, and uh, demanding a right to, to be recognized as humans. And also, you know, um, the Chicano movement was very, um, ex- to some extent, extreme cultural nationalist. So, you know, they had this idea that we were their women. And, and as their women, we were not supposed to date outside the group. You know, like, you don't, you don't uh, date a black guy, you don't date a white guy, you don't, any other color, you know, you had to remain in that culture. They, like, we were their property, and we rebelled against that. We said, we, we have a choice, and we will go with whoever we, we love, regardless of sex or color or nationality. So that was very blatant, you know, and... Um, and and uh, that's that's where you know I'm I'm, t- I'm saying you know that I think we were more infamous than than uh, respectfully recognized 
and uh, and to some degree, you know, we have we still um, do have an impact uh, when we speak to the younger generation, especially that we have an open avenue, and and we still have continued to do panel discussions and and you know the conferences that women have, like uh, women um, in literature and social change, uh, mujeres. En Letras y Cambio Social, I, we've been, as a group, also attending these uh, conferences where you have the very young women coming into the college setting, and it's so, um, it's such an honor for us to share our experiences, and, and, and it's still very, very strong how they connect with us, you know, because they, they've been going through the some of the same um, discrimination within the tradition or the, the the culture that's very backward. Kathy? Yes. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I hope, you know, that we had an impact and that we have an impact still um, today um, because I think our message in the book is the same, is the message that um, the young people can uh, grasp. Um, when Not too long ago, um, my son, Marcus um, Jr., um, was up at UCSB with some of his students, and they were in the library. And he called me, and he said, guess where, where we're at? We're in the library at UC Santa Barbara. And guess what I found? I said, what did you find? He says, the, your book, The Triato de las Chicanas. And he pulled it out, and he sent me a picture with his students. And I, I just felt so so proud that we've been able to um, have some kind of an impact and that somebody would pick up the book there and read it. And like like Felix is saying is that even today, the book was written, what, how many years ago, Felix? 2008, it was published. 2008. So even today, um, you know, um, the, some of the members of the of the triatro um, still go around to the different um, colleges and the universities and have panel discussions. And I know that next week or this coming weekend, um, they're on a panel uh, for um, up at where is it at Dartmouth? Dartmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah, in New Hampshire for a panel discussion. And so the book is still being used today, and and that. That makes me very proud, you know, that, that we were able to write something like that because every woman that is in that book that uh, wrote their story was speaking from the heart of what, of their trials and tribulations of going to school, the struggles that they had going to the universities, and how our group, the Triatro, brought us together like a family and I think that I, I wrote there, it's like an umbil, umbilical cord that ties us together. And that's why we call each other the Las Comadres. Right. Well, and, and, I thought to just tell, tell, um, let the listeners know that Felicita Nunez is, uh, for, for more than 52 years, and that been involved very much in issues, not only with the in the past at the Rato Las Chicanas, but education, bilingual education, issues of the border, and issues of, of um, you know, challenging the role of women and as far as the, in not only equality, but women's role in history, women's role in education, women's role in politics, like women's role within many facets of our community, very much involved with the community. And um, Kathy Raquel is very much involved 
was involved with the CWA and then very much of a, a union organizer and a past president of region of the C, uh, CWA and supporter of UAW, even the strike now. Well, you can see that these women, along with Laura Garcia and some other people, Laura Garcia was editor and participation and then the Bruno del Pueblo national newspaper, uh, mag, um, newspaper. And we can see that this is the, the, the basis of Tizatela Chicana has developed a sense of leadership with all the different women that were participating in that and just surrounding that. And that this particular organization, this particular group, really grew by leaps and bounds in, this, in the sense of the spirit of other women taking over, other younger women listening to them. Now, the question I have for you, both Felicitas and Kathy, was a sense of when you look at this and your, uh, and your audience, and I, I want the listeners to really listen to you, what was the role of the audience? Because it wasn't just like Broadway or it wasn't just like, you know, like in Hollywood. It was very much grassroots and very much you, you performed in front of audiences, whether it be farm workers, whether it be janitors, whether it be teachers, or whether it be community organizers, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, bottles in the street, you know, and lowriders or whatever the case might be. But you were there. Tell us about the interaction with the with your your audience and people that you have interaction with. Felicitas, we'll start with you. Okay. Well, um, not all of them were positive, but our our acting was um, a message to the community, whatever it represented, to for them to become aware. And with that awareness and that education. Um, for the audience to take on responsibility for their their um, wherever they came from, their locale, and um, that that was the kind of message that you know for people to get more involved in in um, the outer world besides just um, you know uh, bringing up children, for example, and and making sure they have clean clothes and decent food, you know that apart from that that these children uh, are going to go out into society and what kind of educational system, uh, judicial system they're going to get involved with, uh, what are their, you know, we throw them out into the world. And so you want to know what the outside world is like. You know, do you just breed children so that they can go to war? Uh, Or do you breed or do you have children and raise them to be, uh, aware and educated about their surrounding and what their importance in society and as, as productive people. So that the uh, that's what we wanted the audience to grasp in in the messages that we would put out to be supportive of the labor movement, to be supportive of the education system, to to make it better, to to develop better uh, working conditions, uh, housing conditions. Um, and and just you know, just uh, for them to be active in in their world, in our world. Exactly. Yeah, I think that um, not all of our audiences were uh, responsive. Responsive had a positive response, but um, the small um, audiences that we had, the message would always be um, directed to whatever their issue was. Uh, whether it was education or whether it was a labor issue. Um, Because some of the um, 
audiences that we had saw us as nothing but a bunch of lesbians, you know, um, a bunch of, um, I don't want to say the word because it's bad, P-U-T-A-S, no sabe nada women, you know. So um, so we had the good and we had the bad. Um, but the message that we that we tried to deliver in our skits always had was related to whatever that issue was of that community. Yeah, and then what, you had different you had different um, skits along the way. Like your, I remember the one about Vietnam, and and your audience might not you know that was very volatile. You know, as far as supporting and not supporting, and a lot of the you know uh, fathers and mothers had their boys over there in Vietnam getting killed and you brought this issue up. So it was, it was a time where you brought up issues that were really controversial. Uh, talk about that for us. Uh, yes, uh, that was, uh, you know, like when we were protesting the Vietnam War, uh, I, w- I went home and uh, out of my four brothers, three of them were, went to the war, okay, or uh, signed up for the military. And part of the reason, um, you know, that I had to explain to them is it wasn't that that I was disrespecting them. It was that I didn't believe that um, the wars that were being taken on were uh, really, what were we doing over there um, killing Vietnamese, you know, for example? What did they do to us? And who was running the show? And so um, it was difficult because... uh, my family, you know, well, three out of uh, my four brothers went to war because also there was no jobs. Um, they didn't, uh, you know, we couldn't aspire to go to a university because we didn't have the the the, the income. Uh, the reason some of us got into college was because of uh, Johnson's war against poverty. That's been the best war ever, war against poverty. and uh, And so it was hard, you know, trying to, communicate with my brother, especially the oldest one, that it wasn't out of disrespect that I was against them going to war. It was out of um, a lack of um, awareness and reasoning as to why we do uh, the things we do and why we get into um, situations uh, where we go and kill other people and we don't really understand what it's about and who's really pulling the strings and why. Why are we doing it? Kathy? Another issue would be the um, like like the male supremacy or just the the culture um, in the young women who are going to college um, during that time. I think things are a lot better now than they were back in the 1960s. But the struggle between um, the parents allowing or letting their daughters go to college, you know, um, there, uh, a, there was a struggle there, a fight there. Um, and so, um, again, it was, um, we would do a skit on, um, uh, you know, going to college, uh, getting that word out of the importance of get, going to college to help these mothers and to help these fathers understand why it was so important to allow your daughters to go to school or allow your children to go to school in order to get a higher education to be able to, you know, improve their, their standard of living. But the, that 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 uh, message um, was the message that we try to send out. You're listening to the American Indian Airways. We just had a great discussion with Felicita Nunez and Cato Requejo concerning a celebration in Teatro Centro 
down San Diego Centro Cultural at October 20th, 2023 at 6.30 p.m. We're going to talk about Triatro and Cecil, Triatro and Chicanas, and a lot more. And within this programming, we want to also, if you if you like the programming here in American Indian Airways, please are asking for you to go and put your wallet with your ear is on and support KPFK by this $100 Pagans in the Promised Land is our gift to you, and also the $100 donation to Dr. and Discovery. And these, these particular gifts are offering to you here on the American Indian Airways for listening to our program. And Marcus, uh, we want to remind listeners they can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website. Click on the KPFK widget. And just to give our listeners a teaser of what's on the do- on the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, we're going to play you a short snippet. Organic Laws. So when we take the history of these documents that I'm talking about, the papal documents, and they, we look at how they influence and inform U.S. law, then it's fascinating. There's a book from 1877 called Federal and State Constitutions, Colonial Charters, and Other Organic Laws of the United States. And in that book, it takes each and every one of the states existing in 1877 By the way, the book was published by the U.S. Government Printing Office. But it takes each of those states and it traces the originating documents back to their earliest origins. So in the case of Florida, as an example, the originating documents for the current state of Florida are the prerogatives granted to Columbus by the King and Queen of Spain in 1492 and the Papal Bull of 1493. Only in Latin, by the way. It's not even published in English in that book. And then when you trace that forward, what you find is that all of the states in the South and the Southwest, such as uh, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Idaho, sections of Idaho, they trace back to that same origin. Anywhere that the Spanish crown claimed rights of discovery and domination from the earliest times, that still continues to today. And the United States is considered to be the successor country to the prerogatives granted to Columbus and to the Papal Bull of 1493. So that's the actual organic law of the United States in those areas. But it is even more extensive than that because it turns out that because Spain had possession of what was called the Louisiana Purchase Territory, the Louisiana Colony, from the period of around 1763 until 1803. That Spanish Crown Law also is considered to be part of the organic law of the entire Louisiana Purchase Territory. And you are listening to a snippet of the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. It is one of two thank you items that are each $100 for supporting us here on KPFK. Again, you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, or and or the documentary, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, 
Each are $100, and you can pick them up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visiting the kpfk.org website, clicking on the pledge widget, and selecting those thank you items there. And Marcus, we're going to go back to our interview, and, and who are we listening to? Larry, we're listening to Felicita Nunez and Cate Requejo, and we're talking about the the theater groups during the 60s, and they're going to have a celebration 52 years uh, with the Teatro Mestizo and other individuals panel discussion on Teatro at Centro, Centro Cultural, uh, celebrating 52 years over there, October 20th and 6.30 p.m. over there at Ball Park. A lot of indigenous activity there through the years, Larry. Besides the real critical issues at the time, what were some of the things that you really that gravitated to you, to you as far as your um, performances? What stuck in your mind that you want to share about that you're really proud of? Uh, we'll go with Kathy first. Hmm. Just uh, performing um, like in front of the universities, um, the colleges, um, and and remembering the clapping you know, the Chicano clap at the end. That was just, um, it just kind of like, wow, you know. And then afterwards, um, you know, after the book was written, we went on, uh, most of us went on um, book tours um, to the different colleges and the universities, just being able to get up in front of the audiences again, not doing a skit, but as individuals um, explaining you know, explaining um, why the book was written and for who the book was written for, uh, for the youth um, to, to help, help them when they, you know, when they went to school. But that's what I'm most proud of, being, a, yeah. being able to be part of that. Yeah, and I think I'm proud of the fact that um, some of us were very shy and and doing theater is probably even more than than speech taking a class in speech because when you're doing theater you're you're it's very emotional and and you it's body movement it's consciousness it's your philosophy it's you're expressing a a view that is not told this is the way you do it but this is what you believe in and uh and and I was proud of the fact that that uh, the young women that got involved with teatro at first, you know, it was a struggle because they were very shy and still had this like thing. Well, I'm nobody. Even to do to write the book, they said, "Who wants to hear our story?" We, you know, it, that that was within our group still. You know, after we had been performing and everything else, um, they didn't want to write their story. And I said, "It is important. Write your story." And we found out that. In writing your story, it was uh, there was a lot of healing going on because at that time in our day we didn't talk about uh, how we had been um, sexually abused. And in the book, you know, when we're writing the book, it, all of this came out. So there was a lot of uh, tears and and uh, releasing of because in in our day we didn't talk about those things, you know, as freely as they are spoken about today, like the Me Too movement, for example. You you didn't talk like that because uh, they would always say, "Well, it's your fault. Look at the way you're dressed. Look at the way you walk. Look at the way you 
bat your eyes or whatever, you know. They would um, downgrade you completely for complaining against sexual abuse. And and uh, we learned to speak up uh, about those situations, and, and we learned to verbalize. We learned to express our thoughts, our views, um, some of maybe they were incorrect or whatever, but you know, you your voice was developed uh, through the acting, and then later through the writing of the book. Well, we want to thank you very much, with, uh, Felicita Nunez and Katia Requejo, for um, talking about. You could hear more of their experiences with other people. We didn't get a hold of um, people from Teatro Mestizo, but other people that are going to be there, Memo uh, Mendez um, and other individuals, Carolina Flores, and um, uh, moderated by uh, Jay Powers and Santo Mayor. And so this 52 years is, is a long time for you to continue doing the struggle, to celebrating it, to realizing what's going on. And, you know, we're talking about Teatro at El Centro Cultural over there in San Diego and uh, the book, Teatro Las Chicanas. We want to thank you very much, Felicita and Kathy, for our discussion here at the American Indian Airways. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to the American Indian Airways, and we had an interview with the, a lot of players back in the 60s, Las, Las Chicanas. They wrote a book on Teatro Las Chicanas. But yet, if you like our interviews, and we do here on the American Indian Airways, whether it be Steve Newcomb, whether it be these different frontline fighters with indigenous peoples, please support us. And all we're asking for is, is following this number, 818-985-5735, and that's 818-985-5735, or go to kpfk.org. Look at the items they have for pledging for our gifts to you to support programs here on KPFK and especially the American Indian Airways. Larry. And Marcus, thank you, Marcus. We want to remind listeners that you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Discovery. It's a $100 thank you item. Or you can pick up the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. That's a $100 thank you item. And both of these premium items are crucial to understanding the living histories of settler colonialism and its impact on indigenous peoples and how the papal bulls, right, the Doctrine of Discovery or the, the Doctrine of the Dominion Code, is codified or part of America's legal system as a way to maintain a permanence of dispossessing indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations of their lands, their traditional homelands. If you appreciate what we do here on American Indian Airwaves, again, you can pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery for $100, or the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and written by Stephen Newcomb. That is a $100 thank you item. You can call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website, click on the pledge widget, and select either one of those premium items for $100 each, 
or one for just $100 or another premium item for the dollar amount listed on the kpfk.org website. Marcus? Yes, thank you. I want to thank our listeners out there. You know, whether you pledge $25 or $5,000, you know, if you're coming to that kind of money, you know, please consider phoning KPFK, this number, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Give us a hand. We're asking you for support. We're asking you for help us, all you indigenous peoples out there. Give us a hand, whether you be organization, church group, or, or political organization. Give us a hand here on the American Indian Airways. Thank you very much, listeners. And we're going to play another snippet from the documentary that's directed by Sheldon Wolfchild, written by Stephen Newcomb. Again, the, do- the DVD or the documentary is titled The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code. You can pick it up for $100. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget. Pick up the book or the DVD, each for $100. And now we're going to play you another snippet from the DVD, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code. Reaffirming the Doctrine of Discovery. In August of 1935, a commission was established by Congress by joint resolution. The commission was established to commemorate and celebrate the 150th anniversary of the United States Constitution. As a result of that commission's work, a book was published in 1937 entitled The Story of the Constitution. And it was primarily authored by Saul Bloom, a New York congressman. In the opening of that particular book, we find part one, Origin of the United States, chapter one, Discovery, Title to the Soil. And it says, King Henry VII of England turned a cold shoulder upon Christopher Columbus when he asked for financial aid in undertaking a highly speculative voyage in search of India by sailing westward from Europe. But Henry VII, a keen and enterprising monarch, quickly realized the importance of Columbus's discovery. And in 1496, commissioned John Cabot to go out and discover countries then unknown to Christian people and take possession of them in the name of the English king. According to the book, Cabot made two voyages and by 1498 had sailed along what is now the coast of the United States and claimed it for England. By tacit agreement, the European sovereigns rested their respective claims upon priority of discovery. The natives were regarded as heathens, possessing no rights of sovereignty. So here you have the acknowledgement by the United States government and a commission that was chaired by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt acknowledging the right of discovery that Chief Justice Marshall said in Johnson v. McIntosh in 1823 was confined to countries then unknown to Christian people which means the countries that were inhabited by unbaptized nations and peoples of the planet. Genocide and the effects of intergenerational trauma. According to Sherburne Cook and Woodrow Bora, 
the Mexican native population was reduced from about 25.2 million in 1518 to 1.37 million in 1595. What I found in my research is part one of the reasons, for example, for, for the many suicides and for many depression, yes. is, is that element of we used to live here and suddenly this is not ours, suddenly our religious beliefs are stupid and false, an invasion by a guy called the devil, Satan, and everything we have believed and done is mistaken from now on. They are our owners and they tell us how to live. There are testimonies of extreme depression that will go either through the, through the way of suicide or desperate... Uh, infanticide. Uh, in, infanticide even? Yes. Uh, desperate uh, insurrection. Yes. It's, it's, kill me, but I am not going to live this way. Uh, but that, that, that absolute devaluation yes. of, of one's being yes. and one history. As, uh, there is a Franciscan in Mexico in the, in the middle of the 16th century, Bernardino Sagun. He wanted to write a history of the customs and ideas and cultures and religiosity of the Mexican Native Americans. And he begins to ask the old people, the ancianos, the elders, who still have the memory. And then the, the, the elders tell Sagun how it was. And at one moment, Sagun has a, a brief section in the middle of the book saying, oh my God, what have we done? When he discovered that there was there a civilization and there was art, there was culture, uh, there were deeds of strength and resistance and dignity, and suddenly, what have we done to these people? We maintain that the principle declared in the 15th century as the law of Christendom, that discovery gave title to assert sovereignty over and to govern the unconverted, has been recognized as part of the national law, the law of nations for nearly four centuries, and that it is now recognized by every Christian power in its political department and its judicial. If they refuse to merge into and become part of the superior race, they must necessarily be destroyed. It is a law of humanity. Now I think of this Western Hemisphere, all of it, as the domain of, as Churchill described it, from this hemisphere, Western Christendom. 
the foundation of Western civilization, Judeo-Christianity, the values that come from the Old and New Testament, the values that Christopher Columbus brought here across the ocean, and that great footprint of uh, the moral values and the and the the ethics that are emerged as part of our Old Testament values, our New Testament values, the idea of the Protestant work ethic and turning the other cheek and building a, a civilization, a society to uh, provide the best opportunity for salvation, to glorify God and our country and understand, as our founding fathers understood, that our rights do come from God and to promote that. The, the full-throated Americanism as the leaders of the, of the free world of Western Christendom has not been asserted strongly enough in this hemisphere and is certainly not strong enough in other hemispheres, Mr. Speaker. The moment of silence is over. And that was excerpts from the documentary, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, a $100 thank you item for supporting us here on KPFK. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests for the hour, Felicitas Nunez and Kathy Requejo. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. Support KPFK. Pick up the book, Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery by Stephen Newcomb for a $100 or the documentary, The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code by calling 818-985-KPFK or visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget and select those premium items there. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never ended We've outdrawn your lives Let our actions speak When they ignore our words For all the lies There's a truth that must be heard And the empty promises We take a stand on the land That you tried to bury us For all the pain and all the suffering We take a stand We take a stand We sleep cage against our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our souls on the thread The moment of silence is over